Okay, so yeah, so the topic that I wanted to mention the other night was... Um, you get a question for me, right? Yeah. I wanted to ask if you could fast forward time, would you? Like, as in, if you could, like, cryogenically sleep or something like that. If, if you could get into, like, <laughs> some kind of device from which you'd wake up, like, in some span of time or whatever, like... Uh, and you could choose that time or whatever, like... Um, would you do that? No, definitely not. All of my time travel fantasies involve going backwards, so I don't... <laughs> I'm completely pessimistic about the future so i have no desire to like fast forward it if anything i'd want to slow down the present or go backwards probably. yeah interesting how about yourself um yeah i, I guess that's a difference between us because i uh i always want to go forwards because i'm assuming that it's a matter of time before i'm in a relationship again um for instance so, Does that preclude like um, the end of the world sort of thing? Like if you're in a relationship and you're starving in a famine and like everything is awful, that still trumps <laughs> <laughs> like society. The fabric of society is co collapsing around you. But yeah, I, I can actually speak to that. That's funny because like that's one of the things that I think about when trying to to find someone is like. I just want somebody to hold me while the world ends or something like that. Like, yeah. like there's this desire of, okay, I know everything's getting shittier. Climate change is ruining the planet. The economy is crumbling. Democracy seems to be in peril. But like, as long as I just had somebody to hold me while everything burns, then that'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny. Cause I think as soon as I had that and all those things were still going on, I don't, I think I would then just be like, Oh, this doesn't solve my more immediate issues of so do you worry about those other things like uh, all the time constantly that's like really? the basis of my neuroses is, is hmm. the fact that I don't think we're headed towards a blissful future hmm. in any respect um for me it's like almost the reverse where like I the apocalypse to me is not having a partner and like I yeah, I can't care about anything else or whatever. Like nothing, nothing else feels immediately relevant to me at all. Like, um, yeah, I really doubt that those things will manifest concretely anytime soon. Um, at least for privileged ass people like us. So, yeah, the thing that keeps me up at night, or for lack of a better description is is the partner um, what's the like the time frame that you're viewing this the time frame of what of like whatever the supposed apocalypse that we're, we're talking about here um <laughs> how long will it be before we sure go or something? well i don't even think about it like i it's not it's just distant enough that i don't care about it like i don't think about it do you feel like that's what might be contributing to it? Like, generally, society is able to live in a way that exacerbates kind of problems that require long-term thinking by yeah. only staying, you know, like, okay, as long as my immediate needs are met, like, if I have Netflix to watch tonight and I can get drunk this Friday, um, yeah. then whatever. But then there's, like, 
humanity and civilization is at a scale where the consequences of our actions require kind of like planning in terms of decades instead of months or years kind of thing yeah 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 of course um but that that's all like abstract rational stuff to me like mm. it, it doesn't it doesn't make me emotional like i i know that i should care about those things and i i do care in an abstract rational way but not but you're not led by rationality but it's not like yeah affecting me emotionally every mm. day or something um yeah so um so the time question like i want to go in the future to a time when i'm happy or something Mm. i guess is the idea like like i'll have a (laughs) a girlfriend two years from now or something um even though it doesn't make any sense because like i have to be around to (laughs) for that to happen i think that makes a lot Um, of sense like if you're watching a shitty movie and you're forced to watch it why wouldn't you be inclined to press the fast forward button like you would want to yeah get to the end as fast as possible and if the end goal yeah of it is being partnered and the assumption is that's going to happen sometime in the future yeah like and i don't enjoy the journey to Mm. that so um so so you would want a time machine that goes backwards yeah I like my source of pain is a general sense of like needing to course correct my life in a way that becomes harder and harder like the further I get into my life like the more time that passes yeah um I feel like it if I could go backwards I could make things the way that I want them to be or need them to be right now in order to have happiness yeah how long would you have to Sorry? Uh, I, in generally, in, in fantasy terms, I'm like, uh, it'd be great to go back to like 2008, 2009. But sometimes I think about going back to my childhood and just like do, redoing my entire life. <laughs> um, hmm. What is it in your childhood that you would want to change? Um, I would want to give myself the upbringing that I, I would hope to impart on a child if I ever had one, which I don't plan to but there's like this oh here's how i wish i was raised like here's the lessons i wish that i was taught as a child in order to become the person that i want to be today yeah like here's the values that were instilled in me that kind of stuff Hmm. like what um hard work frugality um kind of like an immunity to distraction or like frivolous bullshit um yeah, there's just, like, a lot of stuff that I wish I could, like, trim out of my life or, like, lessons that I feel like I know now that I had learned at an earlier point in time. Yeah. Hmm. I can't really think of what I would... Uh, well, I guess, yeah, romance is the only thing I would want to change. In what way? Uh... Yeah, I don't even know what I would do differently. Um, actually, yeah, I guess this comes to the external versus internal blame situation where that we've talked about mm. and distinguished ourselves or between ourselves before. 
um, where for me it would be more about changing other people than changing me. <laughs> Uh, like I wish I could go back in time and be be liked. Uh, that's the main thing. And my outlook is I wish I could go back in time and do the things that would change me in order to be someone who was liked. So I'd be like, okay, I know I can't change anyone else. Like I can't make them like me or something. But there are things that I could do or like lessons I could learn about myself that would allow me to have an easier time in getting people to like me or to like myself probably is more even more so the crux of the issue because like I feel like liking myself comes first and then other people like me following that hmm. to a certain extent um, yeah yeah I guess I can't relate with it because I already like myself and I feel like no one likes me, despite me liking myself. What are the things that you like about yourself that you feel like other people miss or don't see that they should like about you? Uh, basically everything. That that's a really myself. broad answer. Like, what would if we were to get into the weeds of that specific things that other people should like about you that you like about yourself? Uh, the way I dress. Like, I feel like if I saw myself, I would like myself. And when I see people that dress in the style that I like, like I go wild, like I'm really interested in. Um, and the fact that I have uh, interesting creative interests, like I think, um, makes me appealing to me. But other people don't seem to give a shit, like about the things that I, yeah, care about or practice or, or do. Yeah, it just seems like the all the meaning that I derive from myself or whatever, like is like meaningless to other people. Um, so I'm, I'm so curious about like what what is it that pe- what's the currency that I'm so imp- <laughs> impoverished in or something like that? Like like what what is the value that they're seeking? That like all the things that I think are attractive about myself like seem utterly valueless like in online dating for instance like um yeah it's it's well it's incredible to me that like uh like if i was talking to someone who mentioned the things that i mentioned making and stuff like the weird the shit that i i make or whatever like the modular synthesis shit and the bread and all this bullshit. Um, I wouldn't be falling asleep to these people. Like, I, I wouldn't be fascinated, maybe, if they're interests that I can't relate with. But I, I would still be interested enough to fucking talk. Um, like, it would show that there's something happening there. Like, in their mind or in their life or something. But, yeah, I'm just always shocked by how meaningless that is like to people um, yeah so I've been thinking about what qualities I'd be looking for in a partner and also like what, under what circumstances I'd be most likely to find one that like really um, 
sticks or that feels like okay this person is like of a you know a mental constitution or personality type that that would like really match well with me yeah um like a kind of person yeah Yeah. type of person but like not just like things that they do but like maybe deeper than that um I'm gonna wait and these are people that, that have like speaking volumes that are 10 times <laughs> the volume of mine when they're like not even trying and I have to like project I'm trying to talk loud and it yeah. just doesn't that woman over there is like more audible than we are like, yeah. or was earlier yeah we're soft spoken mumbly boys yeah um, yeah that's one of the other things that I think about too is like maybe my neuroses and my like overthinking are real social handicaps like I'm interesting enough at least to myself um, I think I'm like at least passable in terms of intelligence oh they're coming back <laughs> Um, but yeah, like I don't, I don't exude charisma or, um, confidence, which from everything that I've heard is like a big thing, uh, in social interaction and and romance is like how, how well can you kind of like, how's your game? Do you have a lot of game? game, I don't have game. Like that fucking, what's her name? Uh, Oh yeah, Raven. Raven. (laughs) Yeah, that's where I was getting that from. I I was pulling that from my subconscious, but yes, she she put it there. So (laughs) yeah, Um, Zhang and I bring that up a lot too. Like um, he saw that clip with me, and mm -hmm. uh, we've been like traumatized ever since. (laughs) Uh, Did it just cast you into like existential doubt? Yeah, now we're always like insecure about game bullshit. At least you never went down, like, a pickup artist route or something like that, like, trying to develop game by becoming some sleazeball at the mall, like, hitting on every... But at least that would suggest that there's something you can do about it, that there's, like, you can practice it and get better. I mean, there was a whole subset of people that believed that and built a, a culture out of it. Like yeah. The, do you remember the the book? What the fuck was it, was it called? The Game? There was some, like, pickup artist Bible that was big. Yeah, in, like, I remember hearing 2000s. about it, yeah, but I don't know anything people were reading it and like supposedly it was some cheat code to getting women into bed with you and you there was all this shit about negging and like yeah uh and it it like had a real awful impact on society i think yeah uh, but it was a it was a craze for a while and it, it spawned this this subculture of pickup artists that are now yeah. like i think post me too era specifically kind of looked down upon but they yeah. It was a thing. Yeah, like, um, uh, yeah, I, I know that that whole, like, approach or, like, way of basically, uh, a collective of men <laughs> contemplating how to, uh, pursue romance, like, itself, like, is now seen as, 
like uh, is like inextricable now from sexism and incels and like misogyny and all this stuff. Because there was but, a lot of bleed uh, and overlap between pickup artists and the incel culture too. Like, yeah, uh, but like I find myself like wishing now so much that like that there was a way of talking about that or like uh, a guide to that or something like that existed um, and it seems like it doesn't have to be sexist and misogynistic or like um, because there are so many it's so fucking hard to pursue romance as a man like um, and and it seems like there's all these I don't know what it is, like, where this stuff comes from. Like, we, we both didn't have fathers, um, really. Like, uh, and, and I wonder, is it, like, a father thing or something? Like, does it come from having a father to, like, to learn the fucking romantic dance that you're supposed to do as a man or something? Mm. Um, like... Or is, or is it just this natural thing that arises, like, instinctually or something? Like, or were we just not around the same... Like, the kind of men that, yeah, we should be socialized by? Like, the I think, like, on a macro level, we live in a society that does, doesn't teach us how to be men. Like, there's, there's nothing ingrained in the rituals yeah. and traditions of the culture that we spring from that yeah. teaches us that. And, and on the whole, I think that our culture has a tendency towards infantilizing men and keeping us yeah, yeah. forever boys. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I wish there was a way of talking about that stuff and, and, and a way of learning about how to pursue romance without, yeah, being dismissed as like a fucking raving misogynist. Because I think it's a legitimate thing to wonder about and to not be perfect at and to want to improve with and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering at, like, the the lack of kind of, like, accepted and healthy men's groups. Generally, like, when a bunch of guys get together and, and have conversations it, it becomes like a French political issue almost that is like, oh, no, guys aren't allowed to <laughs> to talk about these things amongst themselves because it's you get a bunch of guys together and it's, it's just a, a stew of toxic masculinity and whatever else as soon as yeah. they're congregating. But then, the, like, on the polar opposite is what it's every man for himself kind of thing, like just a bunch of yeah. forever teenage boys masturbating and playing Call of Duty by themselves in their parents' basement. Yeah. And, and yeah, and, and that's acceptable, but the, yeah, the collective strategizing or whatever about how to ascend from that is like, uh, mm. yeah, and that's that's a hot button issue, I think. But like, you can't talk about that with, first of all, without acknowledging the complexity and nuance of it. Yeah. But also, it's like that's that's like on a. I think, like, an ideological fault line in our society is talking yeah. about men's stuff. Like, it's... Yeah. Um, because there is so much shit to, to have to work through, too. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I have to remember what I was going to say. Have you ever been part of a fellowship of primarily dudes who talk about feelings oh. or um, work through their issues related to women or sex, etc.? A fellowship of men who who talk about that? Yeah, sure. And then maybe not like just like that exists for the express purpose of yeah. of like figuring out how yeah. to do romance stuff, but like a collection of guys who talk about issues. Yeah, me, Christopher, Zichang, and Joel had uh, had that dynamic um, and have that dynamic to this day to some degree, but it varies obviously depending on whether people are in relationships or not. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's like that's the most comforting social dynamic or maybe even rewarding like an enjoyable social dynamic I've ever experienced other than romance, like other than being in a relationship. Um, so, so yeah, I think about that too. Like when I'm so miserable about being single that like, um, if only I could have the kind of brotherhood feeling, um, camaraderie or whatever. Uh, over our mutual singleness that um, that is almost even better than being in a relationship like that's that's the goal I guess like in my life to like attain that kind of social cohesion um, whereby even if you're single you have this like yeah feeling of togetherness in your misery or whatever that transcends the misery that it's based on hmm. um, what, yeah which I've experienced in said group um, like in sleepovers where, where we talk about how pathetic we all are and stuff and, uh, and like laugh uh, like endlessly about yeah how hellish everything is and stuff. do you think that feeling of social cohesion can trump um romance on the hierarchy of like human emotional needs like belonging to a group and having a place yeah. and, and meaning in society is like something that could potentially be more important than being partnered yeah exactly that, that's my question like maybe like maybe maybe it's even better mm. than being in the relationship um, that we aspire to the ideal relationship or whatever. I know this is supposed to be about the last time I was happy, but I, I like, I have kind of a, a touchstone in life regarding the time I was the most happy. Hmm. Um, and it was kind of like my peak in life, and that was the summer of 2000 I think I was 15 um, and I got to be a counselor a camp counselor yeah at a summer camp that I'd gone to for most of my childhood and I always loved going there uh, it was like a week away from the trauma of my early life I suppose or whatever drudgery I had to put up with in school and, and home life um, so I loved going to this camp. It was a horseback riding camp called Circle Square Ranch. Um, and it was the highlight of my summer and I would go there and 
probably not bathe for a week and just, you know, eat food at the canteen at night and campfires. And it was, it was just bliss for me. Um, and then finally I was old enough to be a counselor there. Um, and it was this strange confluence of, of, uh, factors in my life at the time that all just seemed to be aligning. Like I, I'd been really socially awkward and kind of chunky in middle school. Um, and then I had this growth spurt suddenly and I, I lost a bunch of weight. Um, and I think I had just sort of come into myself in high school in terms of deciding on a style for who I was as a person. And, and then I went away for the summer for like my first big kind of meaningful long-term job, I suppose. And I went from being really, really ostracized and a bit of a loner at school to being like the beating center of this social group in camp, like the coolest to the cool kids. I was like one of them suddenly. And I, um, you rose in the ranks. Yeah. I think I was just really happy and like in a place that I needed to be. And it was beautiful summer. I was, um, in this kind of like remote farm property. I was out of Brantford. Um, and I spent every day, like 90% of the day outside going from activity to activity, archery, swimming. Um, but I was also in a leadership role where like there was every week a group of kids, like nine or 10 years old who I was responsible for. And they really looked up to me. So I had this like sense of kind of shepherding them and this meaning that was derived from, um, being an authority figure who I think was esteemed by others. Like I, 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 and not to say that my self-esteem should be dependent on that, but it was, it was nice to feel as though I had a role in a group of people that that had a positive impact on others. And then at large, like beyond that as well, I had a group of teenagers that were all my peers. That was, it was just like really fun to get to know all these people and do activities with one another and, um, develop a friend group. And I think all of those things combined to just like put me on this like spiritual. Oh, and it was also, it was a Christian camp too. So, and I was still very much a Christian at that point in time. Hmm, really? Um, Interesting. And yeah, I think something about the ability to kind of commune regularly with nature and also feeling as though I had a coherent religious outlook that was like in line with what I was doing on a day to day basis. Um, all those things combined to make it a really like profound experience for me. It was like the best summer of my life. And I was so comfortable and happy just doing all that stuff that I ended up attracting someone completely unbeknownst to me. Like I, I wasn't trying to, I think there was, there was lots of girls that I found pretty that that summer, let's put it that way, but I wasn't actively like trying to court any of them or, or any that stuff. How old were you again? What, I was, was 15, I think. 15. Maybe 15 turning 16. Yeah. So is that late high school or mid The beginning high of high school. I was, it was between grade 10 and 11. Hmm. So I just finished grade 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I would have been, I think, 15 turning 16 at the time. Hmm. And uh, by the end of the summer, like, I remember having many crushes on lots of the girls that were there. But there was one girl who I just, I didn't even consider as a romantic prospect because I assumed she was older than me and she was like a pretty popular girl who had been a counselor from years before. Mm. So like when I was still a kid, 
she was like a grown up to me almost because like I, she was a counselor and an authority figure and I was still a camper. Meanwhile, she was maybe like a year or two older than me, but it, it just that gap that was created in, in terms of the role and the structure of like me being a camper and her being a counselor. Yeah. I'd never even considered her as somebody that um, there could be anything like, between us. Yeah. And each week you'd get assigned different roles. Like one week I would be the archery instructor. So I just like hang out at the archery grounds all day and groups of kids would come through. I'd teach them how to shoot a bow and arrow. And uh, other weeks I'd be on maintenance and have to like mow the grass. I hated that so much because it was like, it was really menial compared to everything else in my, at least in my opinion at the time. I realize now why it was necessary to have like upkeep of the campgrounds. But at the time I was just like, Oh, I just want to be at the swimming pool every day. I just want to do the fun stuff. I don't want to have to do the work. Yeah. Um, and then another one of the duties I really hated was being in the kitchen because you're like, you're separated from the fun. You have to, you have to do the actual work of camp. And I think like the, to structure it well, you kind of give a, give a balance of the fun stuff, but then some weeks you have to do the drudgery too. Yeah. Uh, And I didn't get that at the time. I just wanted to do the fun stuff all summer. But one week while I was in the, the kitchen, um, I was paired up with this girl. She was also in the kitchen staff. Her name was Cassie. And yeah, I think I was just, I was in my element, um, in terms of being really at peace with myself. I was having fun. People liked me. I had like a really good social circle. Um, and the entire week that we were there, I think I was not overly flirting with her, but just being a kind kind of goofy and, and having fun in the kitchen as I normally would. Um, and at some point, I don't remember if she, one of her friends told me or something, but it came to light that she had a crush on me. So I was like, oh, like, and the summer was just winding down, unfortunately. So there wasn't, of course, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't really time for, um, much Tom of a, a yeah the, we didn't have a fling like, like a proper summer fling it was just like the dying embers of of the summer camp season yeah um but we had like a week maybe where we kind of hung out and we'd go to like camp and council meetings and i remember she would like sit next to me and hold my hand and stuff like that jesus Christ. and then camp ended uh, and i was such a immature shit at the time that like i didn't know how to upkeep a relationship and this was like 2000 so we're still talking kind of like the, the nascent phases of the internet. And I'd like maybe just signed up for an email address that year. So we were writing each other hand letters, like hand, handwritten letters at the time. Um, and I did, I just didn't keep up with it. Like it, it I'd, I'd gone back to high school and like other things were distracting me. And it just seemed really hard to manage a long distance relationship as like a 16 year old kid who had like lots of other stuff going on in his life. So that, that petered out really quickly, but I look the back at that writing? period of time. Yeah. 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 I think I kept them in a shoebox for a while, but who knows what became of them. Um, but yeah, I always look back at that summer. It's like, man, if I could recreate that feeling in some way of like having a really, really cohesive social bond with a large group of people, yeah. of being able to get outside and have like structure and meaning in my life, like feeling a sense of purpose, whether yeah. it be derived from whatever kind of like spiritual outlook I, I may uh, devise at the time but yeah it, everything since then I've never been able to get to that that peak that plateau and yeah. I've like I've had good periods of time I you know first love was was definitely like a honeymoon phase for me but it, it wasn't mm-hmm. as good as that summer 
your your first love mm. like before that even yeah that wasn't first love that was just yeah a... that was second what's that that was second or something no no that was that, that was, was years nothing? and years before first love <laughs> yeah that was probably like eight oh, years like before love first as love. in like uh, love love like literal actual. love yeah yeah okay like when you tell somebody you love them and you yeah and there's like a significant not infatuation or whatever we had going on mm-hmm So, so you think of that as the happiest time or like the first happy memory or something? Like, hmm. Maybe not the first happy memory, but definitely like the, the most prolonged period and most meaningful period of, of happiness in my life. Wow. Um, and it had nothing to do with the fact that I got a girlfriend at the end of the summer. It was definitely like, like that summer could have ended and, and we didn't have a fling at all and, and I still would have thought that that was the best really that's powerful yeah that that cohesion um I think my happiest time that I can remember is the time that I in 2010 when I worked at American Apparel um and I think I was, um, I guess I had finished at U of T, so I was, like, done university, finally, and, um, uh, so I was working at American Apparel, like, part-time-ish, um, and then a little bit of, uh, time at this, like, um, grip job that I, I did like at that church St. Basil's um, that was like only three or six hours a week or something so very small amount of time um, and then I was living at a hundred Spadina with Joel one of my best friends and then uh, and then I was going out with Pamela um, I was in a relationship and she lived nearby, so I, I would, like, spend half my time at her place. So this confluence of factors that, like, I was working in two different places, and I had a relationship, and I lived with a friend, and I lived in two different places, kind of, like... Oh, and, and two other of my best friends, like, Christopher and Lindsay, lived just up the street on Spadina. Um... So, yeah, so I, 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 I'm trying to think of what it was about all these factors that, like, made it, made it seem like the happiest time of my life. Um, and, yeah, like, so the American Apparel situation, like, uh, maybe that's the parallel to your camp situation. Like, what I felt in that place, like... Um, even though it's, yeah, it's like a dramatically different environment. Like, um, yeah, I felt this weird kind of cohesion that I hadn't felt before because I hadn't really had a, a job to that degree before and um, and feeling like I'm this part of a whole of, like, people, like a part of a group like that. Mm. Um yeah, and and then like uh, the fact that there were 
sexy women everywhere too for some reason that like that really energized me in some weird way like it made me feel like I'm among the like elite or something like <laughs> because of the the sense of like coolness of the people there and um mm-hmm. uh so it made me feel like yeah I was on this I was in the cutting edge of like society or something as absurd as that sounds um and uh yeah and then so and that I was in a relationship and I had friends everywhere in my life like really close and um yeah so all these like um yeah, there's something about that structure that was like it, it really yeah. sounds like it checked off all the boxes on your Maslow's yeah. hierarchy of needs kind of thing. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I remember American Apparel being kind of like a coveted, like in the hipster social hierarchy. I was like a status symbol if you worked it, especially. 2007 to 2010 kind of thing it was like yeah. oh it was a cool place but before all like the top charney bullshit game delay, yeah yeah um it, it was like a bastion of, of kind of like um art scene culture in toronto you'd want to get your clothing there it was ethical and it was like hip and part of like the whole electro dance music culture that was going on at the time and everything yeah and it was so sexualized yeah yeah like like their big huge billboards but just like naked women yeah and that was at the time like not even blinked at whereas now in like post everything that happened in the 2010s uh that would it wouldn't stand (laughs) you think it would be different yeah, I mean, like, everyone that's involved with that shit has been cancelled already. Like, uh, even the photographer with the Terry, what's his face? The glasses, the guy who did all the photography yeah. for, like, he, he was the male gaze behind yeah. that shit. And he's, Those, like, yeah. uh, basement, uh, porn shoots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, like, all these models coming forward just with complaints about him. He was, like, so instrumental in the aesthetic of, of, American Apparel's advertising and him yeah, and Dutch really were like gross like-minded yeah no so that kind of stuff just doesn't, doesn't yeah, pass but, anymore but I wonder if the style would um, wouldn't pass like you don't think I think it maybe would like oh, yeah fashion's cyclical so I mean like give it five years and like all the 17 and 18, 18 year olds are going to be dressing like it's 2007 we'll yeah. still just be like unironically wearing Kanye glasses and yeah because I feel like the objectification of women doesn't change at all like it's just the the cultural mores around maybe it. the vilification of particular men in certain situations yeah but I changes, mean like but not m- me too is pretty unprecedented right like we I, I feel like the pendulum is swinging a little bit back in the opposite direction politically now where there was a woke revolution to a certain extent we're really trying to police um like social standards uh vigilantly Hmm. and now there's a backlash going on and saying like oh no like cancel culture and blah blah like like people really trying to find 
an equilibrium around that stuff. Um, yeah. But I definitely think, like, you can't go back to a time before, like, Harvey Weinstein. And, like, we're aware, like, like so many people were <coughs> plucked from the, <coughs> the mud, like, weeds for their shitty behavior. That It's, like, I think people are aware of the fact that there's, there's like, a, a public eye on not just, like, your conduct in the current moment, but, like, if it comes to light that in the, the past, however long you engaged in some shitty behavior, you risk, like derailing your life to a certain extent and there was never a policing force like that prior to the late 2010s I was listening to a Truanon episode once where they talked about about Me Too and how mis like guided it is kind of or how misdirected the um yeah the mm. the movement is in the sense that um like the ire like of me too goes towards particular men who did uh yeah the crimes of me too um but uh like instead of the structure that like hmm. allows or even necessitates like that um yeah that behavior so like where one person is like one person's funding is like um, responsible for an entire operation. Like that's the problem. Like it's yeah. the structure. Of I, I mean, the we funding. need we need figureheads um, as a society. Just the way that like public discourse is conducted online, you can't direct, you know, the ire of the masses towards systemic issues. It yeah. just doesn't work that way. Like people in 140 characters or less have to be like, "This guy is a creep. He sucks. We're canceling him." <laughs> It, they're right. I mean, like that doesn't tackle the underlying systemic forces that prop yeah, up. Yeah, because if you get rid it, of the people that have done it, like yeah, there's just going to be the next Weinstein who exactly. gets in there. Or like those are like the the buds and the leaves on the tree of of misogyny yeah. and and patriarchy that yeah you should be like poisoning the roots and chopping down the, the stump sort of thing. Yeah, so until there isn't the huge inequality of dependency on certain people and not on others or the like. Um, and, and for some, for a huge number of people to need to impress other people like, or few people like relatively. That's maybe like one branch that's on the, the tree problem. that I'm talking about. But yeah, no, it's, it's a super complex issue. Yeah. Of, that, that is deeply intersectional. A lot of pretext and, and historical entanglements, and a lot to do with capitalism and, and yeah, and inequality for sure in general. Um, so another thing I wanted to mention was that um, yes, I agree. Uh, when we talked about. Um, Oh yeah, a col like a group of men um, talking about how to attract women, like that mm -hmm. being seen as like a mm -hmm. filthy thing to do. Um, it's interesting to think of the female equivalent of that, like a group of women. I mean, w would it be talking about beauty or something like about? Yeah, to a, to an extent, we see manifestations of that in culture already, like 
Cosmopolitan magazine that's or like something like that, or just like, like yeah. like Sephora, the messaging that that's like behind that kind of stuff. Yeah, is similar. I, I think like the the reason it what you're talking about gets so much slack is because um, like the idea of a group of guys getting together to talk about that. The assumption is that they're they're strategizing on how to get laid. Like it's not seen as a meaningful, like especially if the sole purpose of of a group like that is just like okay, teach teach a guy how to, f- to find romance. It's like the, what what does differentiate that between allergies? Yeah, we're out well, and amongst the pollen. Spring today. allergies. Yeah, uh, like what differentiates that from from pickup artists aside from the fact that like pickup artists are more overt in in their misogyny and their Whereas if you had a group that was like dedicated to a wider, like that was a subset maybe of what it, its purpose existed for, but it was more like, here's how to be a good man kind of thing. And like part of being a good man means like attracting women through X, Y, and Z kind of thing. Um, I don't think a group like that would get the same sort of flack as like a, a group of guys standing around at Young and Dundas Square, like negging random strangers. What is a pickup artist? They're, that's a good question. How did, how did you find a pickup artist? They're generally people who have like undergone either research or, um, maybe training or consultation with other men around strategies specifically related to picking up women. So approaching women and getting women to like let down their guard and I don't know either go home from the bar with them or give them their number or whatever. Mm. And I mean, I I don't think it's all necessarily rooted in sex, but the assumption is that it's like, it's motivated largely by sex. Is a pickup artist necessarily bad? I mean, like if you talk to women and you ask them how many of you like to be approached in this manner by guys whose sole motivation is to try and like swindle you into fucking them, then... I don't think there would be a lot of positive reviews. Um, but could there be an ethical pickup artist? I wonder. I, I think the the artistry of it, like, employs some or, or like implies some kind of deception, or like, you know, in order to be an artist, you've you've got to <laughs> study this craft of yeah, like a pick a real pickup so artist. Artistic. You, you have yeah. to employ subterfuge and, and like trick a girl with this set of like psychological wizard tactics or something. <laughs> um, so yeah, like an ethical pickup artist would just be like a normal person who doesn't have like ulterior motives that they're, they're concealing. Like as in wanting sex. Yeah, I mean, like maybe be over. Like, well, like how how successful do you think like a uh, a strategy would be that that didn't conceal that? Like, if you were just to walk up to someone and say, "I want to have sex with you," like a stranger, which is essentially what pickup artists are doing, Mm -hmm. but they're they're trying to like to mask it in a whole bunch of bullshit to make it a a, like a pill that yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's like if that degree of deception is necessary, then they must be necessary for a reason because you're like, what you're doing isn't socially acceptable or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and no, to answer your question, I don't think it's wrong to want sex, but like, it's like, if that's all you want, 
then maybe there's something in the equation that's missing there. Like speaking of, <laughs> um, yeah, um, or not even like the, I don't think that's morally wrong to to just want that, but I think like they. And this is like a wider philosophy of mine. Like the, the the real moral infraction comes into play when you stop seeing another human being as a human being and you see them as a means to an end. Which, like a lot of the times, yeah. when you want sex, it's because there's <coughs> bless you. Um, there's an end goal in mind that that usually involves some form of selfish gratification. It's like okay, there is a another flesh and blood human being across from me that I am reducing to the potentiality of an orgasm and that's it. And that's, that's where I think the real problem comes into play, but I don't, I don't think wanting sex in and of itself is bad at all. And I think that that same moral infraction that I'm talking about applies in all realms. Like that's the root of, of kind of all evil in this world. And I, I feel like that's like a Hannah Arendt quote or something like that. I heard this idea somewhere and it really resonated with me. That like as soon as you stop being able to see another human being as a human being, that that's like the the crack in the the fabric of your psyche, which evil kind of flows in through. Um, yeah, I guess I'm an evil evil guy. <laughs> do, you, do you feel evil? Uh, I thought a lot about this because I mean, like I, you and I are on a, a very similar wavelength when it comes to noticing attractive women around us, I think. Um, <coughs> which we're biologically hardwired to do. Like, there's no sense in shaming ourselves for that. Um, yeah. But I have to also try and breathe life into, like, higher consciousness that, that reminds myself constantly that, like, that person doesn't exist to please me because... As soon as I start assuming that they do, I, I like I stop being able to remember that there's somebody that's lived their life entirely separate from mine that involves yeah. heartbreak and tragedy and joy and numerous experiences of birthday parties and travel and wonder and awe and all these things that like I also derive meaning from my life through having experience. And like if somebody saw me as just a wandering sack of meat that like was just there to bring happiness into life like that that would be a violence to me in some way I feel like, like I, and I don't want you know I don't want people to see me that way I want people to experience me as a human I want to be seen that way I want to be lusted after by yeah. enormous like reduced my, my greatest fantasy but like, like that's the op- the opposite of what you're talking about about somebody like liking the stuff you for like oh he's into synthesizers and breaks bread and stuff like that like they wouldn't yeah. give a shit about any of that like because you're not a person you're not, yeah you're like yeah, a non-playable be character than, yeah I guess what, what I'm saying is that it would be much much better than nothing because like the alternative okay. like what I experience is nothing I see or at least it, what it feels like yeah so like in those cases at least you're getting something so, so that's at like, least I'm yeah like useful to someone like mm-hmm. I feel useless yeah yeah like, right even now. if you're like a dildo with legs like at least you have yeah. some functionality yeah exactly um, don't you think it would hurt to be tossed out afterwards though then like to be like oh you've you've served your, like I'll, wouldn't that hurt yeah. even more than almost I'll never understand the toss out like cause well, who the fuck cares if you're not a person like spit on you piss on you but like, I thought I, but I thought I'm a piece of fucking meat 
then treat me like a piece of meat. Like, keep yeah, me but like, there's, like a piece of meat. Like, like you want to fucking eat the meat. Think about the ubiquity of meat. Like, if you're just piece of meat i'll eat the meat and then i'll go and eat another piece of meat and like do you do you if you get but if a i pound found of chicken from the grocery store piece of meat i would be obsessed with it. like I, I, th- I, I feel like that's an, an, an oxymoron to some maybe extent. a decade from now like I a special piece of meat is not a piece of meat right like they're a human there's somebody that you want you want to have some something more with they by definition then become something beyond that, that transcends i'm gonna hold this thought because <laughs> yeah, if, if, yeah, if you want to hold on to them, and there's something valuable about it, it's it doesn't become meat to you. This is such a weird metaphor. But we're, <laughs> we're running with it. I was getting into like, want to talk about a pound of chicken from Loblaws and be like, oh, you know, like you eat it and then you're done. You don't sit there and like write a two thousand page novel about what a great piece of chicken that was. Uh, I think the important thing is that we go wilder like that we're natural and then we edit out the horrifying stuff later hmm. so yeah if it feels too problematic then we can just delete I, I will say I'll have a no censorship policy everything's on the table yeah me every too. yeah impulse and misspoken thought for the recording but not for the release of the oh no we have to release everything too <laughs> <laughs> bear um, our souls and our shadows so yeah, so back to the meat situation. So, um, wait, so what was the last thing? So. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is, uh, this is par for the course and as to be expected in recording outside. You can't yeah. control. Um, Adds to the ambient. Yeah, for sure. That's it. I was saying. Al fresco. That yeah, because you're you're saying like you don't get the throwing away of of the meat when you're done. It's, it's yeah, kind of like I, I, I don't understand like with the pickup artist and with the the game and all this shit. Mm-hmm. Why does it always involve throwing out? Like that makes no sense to me. Like if you're with an attra- like someone that you find really attractive, why the fuck would you give up with such a person? Or like I, I think it's um, it's a volume. It's like a numbers game. It's like, okay, this person's fun, but what about this person? Oh, there's another. Like, it's it's this idea of kind of like, and I get when you're coming from a place of scarcity, that doesn't make sense. That's the thing, yeah. I yeah, guess. like if you're if you're starving and you stumble upon something, like yeah. the the outlook is never going to be. I need to go and find something different. Like I'm not going to finish eating this apple because I want to know what an orange tastes like. So, yeah. yeah, and this, I, I find the whole food analogy doesn't really line up when we're talking about human beings further to my point but but i guess that's the whole point like treating human beings not human yeah human like yeah it's at the root of objectification but then the question becomes like what is a suitable metaphor for for an object that you use the same way that we're talking about reducing a human to an object a piece of vegetable or something um i mean they 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 from a utilitarian perspective they don't <laughs> they don't line up for me <laughs> um, hmm. so wait so we're talking about be, wanting to be used as a piece of meat mm-hmm. or appreciated as a piece of meat 
Um, I get that. I feel I feel like I've had that same thought that like it would be nice, like the idea of of a woman reducing yeah, me to like, just like something that that could be used feels yeah kind of like oh well, that, that's, there's something hot about that. Like I could I'd serve a purpose in that respect. Yeah, like but someone I, drooling over you, kind of for sure. Yeah, because you. I mean, that's no doubt a self-esteem boost. I think yeah. women have to to navigate this um, with a lot more nuance than we do because because they they're like on the receiving end of that all the time, and I think that they found that that like that doesn't actually at the end of the day result in what they they're wanting from from interactions with other human beings. That it's kind of like yeah, you can get that, but if that's that's all that's on offer, it kind of leaves you wanting. Yeah, well, if that's all that's on offer, I don't think it is the only thing on offer. No, and I mean, like, that relationships do exist. Because for me, the ogling is is never the, like, meat-style ogling or whatever. Like, it's like, uh, I want the potatoes or whatever as well. Like, you, you want the potential, because like, you've got a blank canvas at that point where you can say, like, you don't know this person as a human. And we talked about this a lot. Like, yeah, but for, I have all these fantasies. Of exactly. What so, like, like, what you're actually liking is the fantasy. You're not. You, if, yeah, but it, it involves wanting to get to know them mm-hmm. to find out what they're like. Yeah. Um, so, to me, like, I, when I ogle, it's not a hundred percent meat. It's like I'm objectifying, but I also want to know the person. Yeah, I can relate to that. I don't think that I, like every person that I find attractive and that I'm like guilty of noticing. I necessarily want to get to know just because like I can generally get a sense of like whether or not and maybe that's just me being too judgmental but like if someone is superficially attractive to me but I they might not be everything else like so I I can usually parse in the moment like what part of my brain or lower extremities is being activated yeah yeah or the degree to which either one yeah. Bearing the brunt of the... Yeah. So... Hmm. So to get back to the happiness topic, um, so do you think that... So in that summer camp situation, like, do you... um, I'm wondering, wondering about the details of that that made you happy like mm. um did you live so you lived at this camp i did all summer yeah you'd go home for weekends you'd have weekends off and like i'd get like one night to go home and have like a normal shower in, in a suburban household when you got home would you be depressed relative no because i was just looking forward to that it, it was this like weird renewal that happened every saturday you'd like You'd have a night off and you'd get to go home, but you knew that the next day, like, it was all starting up again and there'd be a fresh batch of campers coming through and, like, new excitement, new adventures. So I I didn't have enough of a breather from it to really feel depressed about having to go home. And it it was just so brief. It was just, like, catching your breath from the revelry of the summer and then right back in it. Hmm. Yeah, we lived in... um, it was weird. It was not a conventional summer camp with the, the whole, like, cabin setup. Yeah. It was a horse-themed camp. It, was, um, it wasn't only 
horse camp, but but like there was a whole subset of the campers that came specifically for a horse camp, and like they were they were the horse kids. Um, but then you could do other stuff like BMX bike riding, um, arts and crafts. I think they added skateboarding later on. Um, but where was I going with this? Yeah, so so it was horse themed, and like they didn't have cabins. Instead, we slept in like what was effectively covered wagons, like the, the early pioneers would travel in. Yeah, they were covered wagons that had like bunks in them. So there was eight bunks in a cabin, one for the counselor, or sorry, in a, in a wagon, and uh, one for the the counselor. So I'd have like seven kids who I was responsible for, and you know we'd go campfire and sing songs and then come come back to the wagon and get ready for bed and tell ghost stories in the wagon yeah um yeah it was just it was a sense of never really being alone like you you, you weren't yeah. alone when i was working um the other kind of staff positions where i was on maintenance or or kitchen staff or something mm. they had just recently built these lodgings um they were like fresh that year for uh the other staff like there used to be trailers or something like that that they could sleep in yeah so i stayed in those those bunks for a bit but then um what was I gonna say? yeah so they just built this building and i started staying in that and that was kind of like our own little zone where we got to hang out yeah yeah were you mostly around friends or yeah i think like everybody kind of became friends there was maybe like 40 of us at, at a given time of like just like 15 or 16 year old teenage kids who and like some were better friends than others like there were cliques that, that formed for sure and i felt like i was in the in group for the first time um, yeah but and, and they were your same age and stuff like that. yeah and like interested in similar stuff to me i remember i was going through like a pop punk phase at the time like blink 182 was just yeah emerging as a cultural force um, yeah. and i was into that but there was also like christian pop punk um, and I was into that kind of music going into camp and then I met like the other cool kids at the time who were also into that so we bonded over over the shared interest in MXPX or whatever yeah hmm. and I, I think a lot of it was just getting regular exercise too like regular exercise and sunshine like exposure to, to vitamin D yeah um probably helped a lot <laughs> just like yeah. being able to have fresh air and move around and like do stuff mm. uh the food wasn't great but and i i did like every night they had this thing called canteen which was um you could go to the canteen and buy pop or candy essentially and i, I love that because i'm a big sugar addict mm. um but there was nightly activities so we'd always play a game and it usually involved kind of like running around and doing stuff my favorite was from from when I, the time that I was a camper, we played this game called Smuck the Staff, which was like a big hide and go seek game between the campers and the counselors. Mm. So the counselors would uh, run pretty much anywhere on the campgrounds was permissible, and try and hide from the campers. And if you're a camper, you, your objective was to go and find anyone who was on staff as a counselor. And if you tag them, you got to bring them back. Uh, and at the end of the game smash them in the face with a giant pie <laughs> it was actually it was a plate of whipped cream but we treated it like it was pieing someone in the face 
Um, and it was just so much joy and revelry that came from this game. <laughs> it was, as a kid, you, you know, it was so, so fun to be able to smack your authority figures in the face with a pot. And then as a counselor, it was really fun to get into it too. Cause like there was two types of counselors. There were the ones who took it really seriously and tried to hide from the kids. And there were the ones who wanted to get caught cause they thought it was fun to get smacked. So there was yeah. this group of, um, I'd say my peer group at the time, who nicknamed themselves the Yellow Jackets, and this is pre the whole. Yeah, I think I think. Why are there the so ja- many movements called the Yellow Jackets? <laughs> this was twenty years prior to. I'm already confused about the. Aren't the, there two the French vastly thing? different Yellow Jackets? Yeah, um, well, there's the French thing, and then there's like the the Wex the Wexit crowd. Yeah, like the anti Trudeau. So now there's a third Yellow Jacket. We were the original. Uh, Why does everyone name themselves? <laughs> I mean, there's sports teams called the Yellow Jackets. They're, they're a type of, like, wasp, aren't they? The fuck? Um, so everyone's in the wasp community? I guess so. They're like, that's where they get their names. There's a TV show called Yellow Jackets, too. It's about a girls' sports team. But, yeah, their, their whole objective was to try and get caught as quickly as possible because they thought it was funny. So they would wear really, really bright, reflective clothing. Um, and that was part of my friend group. But I think I generally treated it more... Um, I was more evasive... And I like to like wear the camouflage clothing and try and hide from the campers. Yeah, but yeah, it was just it was just nonstop fun. Like you just you have no um, kind of like menial obligations. Uh, you're playing and entertaining yourself all summer, and you're connected to a group of peers, and you're outside. And it was just like it was bliss. Hmm. In my situation, I liked the menial obligations, like the. Hmm the most mindless um, repetitive like tedious work in the stock room at American Apparel like that was my favorite thing like I don't mind that I mean but you hate school right like you would yeah you would dread having to be trapped inside in a math classroom like yeah because it involves like my brain basically yeah so like the the opposite can happen in menial labor where you can just turn your brain off and just do the exact same thing over and over again yeah yeah I worked at a factory job that was like that. Like, it was literally picking up a piece of metal tube and feeding it into a machine for 12 hours straight. Um, and that, was, that wasn't that was a bad job. Like, I didn't, it didn't fulfill me, but it also, I didn't hate it because I could daydream the entire time. I think I would have liked yeah. it better if, if I could control the music or listen to podcasts or something when it was going on. It would have been just fine, but it was kind of boring. I wonder what the equivalent at this age would be of that kind of Mm. arrangement where we, like, where we could, like, yeah, have all those elements that made us happy in those situations. Um, Like, if we're in some kind of group, um, like, uh, yeah, what would that be? um, Bibliotech. (laughs) Yeah. Like, uh, I, I do fantasize about like some sort of commune situation where I can go for extended lengths of time without having to answer an email. Mm. And yeah, I'm just around other people and we're just like sharing in the act of, of living. Yeah. Because there's so much alienation that happens in our culture. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I like the idea of having 
a group of some kind, but like I don't know what it would be. Um, like an urban commune or like a union or something, like some kind of like um, leftist group. But it would exist more for almost like materializing the kind of life that we want to exist in the world for the people in the group or I guess for as many people as possible but like but it would foster the togetherness in that group that yeah that we're talking about I guess Mm. Um, sounds almost religious (laughs) like a unity of purpose right like you have a shared a unity of what purpose yeah yeah unity of purpose that's like that's one of the things that makes me most happy I think like that feeling of um, like when me and Christopher have got together in preparation for his like um, a zine fair and we're like we have to get a bunch of zine work done and that, that feeling that we have this uniting purpose and identity of deep matter um, our zine like label whatever and um we have like shared yeah principles values objectives like uh subjectivity that we feel and um i was listening to a podcast yesterday and the lady was saying something similar that she feels like so much of what's at the root of the culture war is just uh, an alienation that people are feeling and and a desire to want to belong to a group yeah. So, like, as soon as you align yourself with, you know... Whatever arbitrary yeah, shit. Yeah. Whatever mimetic tribe or, or, like, cultural group that you have affiliation with, you experience an automatic sense of belonging through that. And, like, you, you have things that you're fighting for, things that you're fighting against. Yeah. But, so, yeah, like, I, I mostly think of, like, creative endeavors like this podcast for example like as or like the zine thing that I was talking about as the way to achieve this kind of feeling or that or that source of happiness that can be like the that cohesion factor the, the purpose that everyone is unifying is whatever artistic endeavor is being undertaken at the time yeah that seems like the most practical and accessible and feasible way of achieving such a thing um to us right now like so so I guess that's part of my um like reason for doing this podcast like that I wanna like the feeling of us um regularly working on this project we're like contributing to this thing that gets more and more I don't know value over time like as we make more episodes and like it 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 uh, furnishes my life with another reason to exist basically whatever like that I'm making this thing and it's like a regular reminder of like shared goals and um, values and like and it gets us outside of the house I guess that's a huge part and and yeah just talking and doing things I think I've, I've always conceptualized like artistic endeavors as, as like deeply solo pursuits in some way 
because I've always been the kid who's just like doodling by himself or like writing a story by himself. So the, the collaborative art project has been something that's like evaded me in, in some way. So this is all brand new to me, I guess. Yeah. Does it appeal to you? Yeah, I think so. I don't think I have the same um, emotional attachments that, that you... Like, I, I haven't had the same experiences around deep matter and stuff where it's provided you with, like, an opportunity to connect with people. But I'm definitely feeling that now. Like, I get the sense of we're having a deep conversation. And we don't always have conversations that go this deep. So we don't always have the yeah. time. Yeah, so I guess it's the corollary I don't know what the word is like um, like elements of making something like rather than the making it itself but like if we were to like um, yeah if this became like a long term podcast um, I guess there would be actually I don't really know how it works with podcasts but with other things like I, it involves like meeting people throughout the process like um, like being around strangers like in the zine fair type of mm-hmm. situation but we're having like guests and stuff like that yeah I guess actually yeah it's a perfect example yeah like, having we would have guests um, whoa yeah that would be incredible um, so and then going to places like would be yeah going to different places to meet these guests and um, and and then if we were to make ourselves public on the internet then we'd be exposed to strangers and, yeah uh, hypothetically I don't know if we're amassing a a gigantic audience yeah <laughs> I'm not gonna delude myself in that respect at this point um, yeah but just doing this I think is is good and yeah some yeah. of like the my fondest memories and friendships were the opportunity to have like conversations that go deep. Like yeah. I really don't like small talk or just like perfunctory chatter that kind of bullshit. Yeah, bores me, and I like I'm always at my most excited when I have opportunities to talk with people about like really, really meaningful core issue type stuff that that like is either like exploratory from a philosophical perspective or like is considering things in ways that we, we don't often get a chance to yeah exactly speaking of which I'm conscious of the fact that if we do want anyone to listen to this it'd probably be a good idea to wrap up before it gets sprawling yeah I'm also thinking that we would probably delete uh, 90% of what we've recorded so this is all uh, it baby well, maybe, maybe a little bit of editing but um, alright yeah does that cool uh, suffice for this I think I think that's our end note right there I press a button. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs> we said to ourselves. Yeah. I think it's stop. stop. Yeah.